For several years now, I've really enjoyed John Rutter's beautiful, remarkable creations, and we've got this incredible choir to be able to deliver it to us with such beauty. So thank you to our choir and to Peter and to John Rutter. Our text of scripture for this Thanksgiving is one that is often used at this service on the Sunday before Thanksgiving. It's a text from the Gospel of Luke about the ten lepers who were healed and only one returns to thank the Lord. So I invite you to listen for God's word as it comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten lepers approached him, keeping their distance. They called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, get up. And go on your way, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In my reading this week, I came across an article. We live in a world that prizes analytical thinking. Those who attack problems logically and methodically be they students cramming for standardized tests or researchers slicing through mounds of data in search of hidden patterns. They've become the protagonists of modern society. So claims an article in the Quarterly Insights from the Capital Group. The article continues, The flip side of analytical thinking is flexible thinking. And renowned scientist Leonard Mladenau believes it's the key to success in today's fast-changing world. The ability to be creative and go against the grain, what this physicist calls elastic thinking, is essential as many of the basic functions of society and our daily lives are being transformed at breathtaking speed." End quote. So this article interviews this Caltech-trained theoretical physicist, Dr. Maladnow, who illustrates his point this way in the article. When Wikipedia was coming up, Encyclopedia Britannica didn't question its assumptions, the assumptions of its business model. And I assume that taxi companies didn't feel that there was a really a threat from Uber they didn't change their ways. They could have done that. Blockbuster could have started mailing you CDs or DVDs or streaming movies, but it didn't do that. And Netflix reinvented the paradigm." End quote. 
As I read that article and I was thinking about this gospel story in Luke, it seems to me that in the story of the ten lepers, we have an example of one person who exercised flexible thinking. One of the ten reinvented the paradigm. He was thinking elastically when he turned around and approached Jesus and creatively began going against the grain, leaving the crowd behind. Ten were healed. Only one was saved. Only one had a completely different paradigm for understanding his life and our relationship to the one who created it. Faith at its heart, is a paradigm shift in our thinking. It's a more elastic way of understanding and perceiving our world. Now, I think this story illustrates perfectly the 90-10 rule. Only 10% of those who experience God's grace really get it. They understand that somehow God's gifts are meant to lead us to an entirely new way of comprehending life. <coughs> the other 90%, they just go along their merry way, oblivious to the invitation to a life-changing relationship with God. A relatively small percentage of people come to value faith and live according to faith. Now, there's a lot of talk in recent days about some new Pew Research data about the decline in church attendance nationally. According to a recent article in the New York Times, the Pew Research Survey on American Religion claims as older Americans die, quote, they are being replaced by a new cohort of millennials who display far lower levels of attachment to organized religion, far lower than their parents and grandparents did when they were of the same age. And when measured by religious affiliation, millennials are the most secular in modern American history, end quote. But you know, as I read this story in the New Testament, from that perspective, Christian faith has always been a minority perspective. The seed of faith, after all, in the parable of the sower of seeds, only 25% of that seed falls on the good soil. And today we have an, uh, an expression here in this story that only 10% of those who experience God's healing respond by turning around with gratitude to praise and thank the Lord. So maybe we shouldn't be so surprised by this data. Faith is the narrow gate and the hard road after all. Only 10% of the, those lepers and the Samaritan took the road back to Christ that day. The least likely one you would think would do so. Ten were healed. One was made well by his faith. The language there that gets translated made well, it's the same Greek word that Luke uses elsewhere in the story of Zacchaeus when he says, today salvation 
has come to this house. There's a difference between being healed and being saved. The former happens once. The latter happens once and forever. Now this story talks about these skin diseases and all kinds of skin diseases in the first century were regarded as leprosy. Some were contagious. And we still have those known today. We call it Hansen's disease or leprosy. And those with contagious skin diseases were required to separate themselves from the community and then they had to yell unclean every time they approached any individual or group of people. So they lived on the margins of the society. They were ostracized from others with their disfiguring disease. Leprosy attacks the nervous system, so you lose the sensation of pain in your extremities. So the disfigurement often included not only sores on the skin, but also the loss of fingers and even extremities altogether. I got thinking today, who are the lepers in our society? Who is ostracized and remains on the margins of our culture? When I was thinking of skin diseases, I couldn't help but think of all the people who have tattoos these days. And you know, a small tattoo on the ankle or, you know, something. But people who have tattoos all over their body, especially up their neck and on their face, it says something about them. You kind of distance yourself from them. How about those who are missing teeth? You see somebody who's missing teeth. It's a strange experience. Sometimes we move away from people who seem out of a different caste or a different social status. I learned just a week ago that for prisoners, it's cheaper and it's more financially lucrative for dentists in the prisons to actually pull teeth than it is to put in a filling. So people who are incarcerated often come out of the experience missing teeth. Then I thought, too, of those who are ostracized in our society, the undocumented immigrants. Aren't they kind of the contemporary version of unclean who have to stay in the shadows of our culture? We may not have leprosy like they did in the first century, but we have our own version of those we don't allow in, who have to keep their distance, who live on the margins and live off of the generosity of others, unable to make a living for themselves because of their disfigurement. Now Jesus, upon hearing and seeing all of this, doesn't flinch or recoil like others do. He instead engages those with these disfigurements. He tells them, go and show yourself to the priests. 
as was the custom of the day, so that the priests could reinstate them into the community and into their homes. The priests were the only ones who could declare them clean so they could re-enter society. On the way to the priests, they were healed. That must have led to incredible joy. The story of, cl- of faith claims that we're all disfigured in some way by sin, that we all fall short of the glory of God. We all are living behind masks, as we've been talking about in this whole sermon series this fall. Or as it says in Genesis, in the early part of Genesis, we hide behind fig leaves that hide our disfigurement in some way, insecure, afraid, because we know who we are. When we look at ourselves in the mirror, we know what we're capable of. It's interesting to note that these ten lepers had to actually do something to experience healing. The miracle didn't just happen without their participation. They had to get up, and in obedience, they had to go where they were told to go. God just seems to require our participation in our own healing. Healing often comes while we're on our way towards faithfulness. We may want it to happen more magically than that. Lord, look, just provide me with a job. I don't want to actually have to go out and sell myself and look for one. Lord, just heal me because I really don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to go on a diet. I don't want to quit drinking. Just do it magically. But healing often begins in our lives when in obedience we begin to take action. This story is a reminder of the story of Naaman in the Old Testament. You may remember the story about this mighty warrior who had leprosy and was healed by Elisha, even though he wasn't an Israelite. And Elisha instructed Naaman just to go down to the River Jordan and wash himself seven times. And it really angered him. He wanted something more spectacular than that. He had to be talked into being obedient by his servant before he was willing to go down and wash himself. And when he did, he received the healing he looked for. Sometimes, it's just simple acts. Simple changes of our behaviors become ways that we experience healing. Start exercising. Eat more fruits and vegetables. Pray. Attend worship. Become part of a community of faith like this church again, as we saw several this morning join the church. Simple acts of faithfulness make a difference. You're probably familiar with the story of Helen Keller, the story of this young child who lost her hearing and her sight at the age of 20 months from meningitis. Blind and deaf from early childhood, she grew up in a world of silence and darkness. When she was seven years old, 
Helen was often confused because she didn't have images in her mind to correlate with the words that she was learning. So she confused objects. For example, she would confuse the mug for holding water with the water itself. So Anne Sullivan, her teacher, took her by the hand. It was a spring day in 1887 in Alabama. And took her out to the pump to fill a pitcher of water. They both thought that her lessons were over for the day. And as they held that pitcher under the water at the pump, the water began to flow over Helen's hands. With water pouring over them, Anne Sullivan began to tap out the word water. Helen wrote about that experience later. She wrote, Suddenly I felt a misty consciousness of something forgotten, a thrill of a returning thought, and somehow the mystery of language was revealed to me. I knew then that water meant that wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. And that living word awakened my soul and gave it light and hope and joy and set it free. There were barriers still, it's true, but barriers that could in time be swept away. Everything had a name. And each new name gave birth to a new thought. And every object I touched seemed to quiver with life. That was because I saw everything with the strange new sight that had come to me. End quote. Helen Keller went on to graduate from Ratcliffe College, cum laude, in 1904. She was the first deaf and blind student to graduate from college. She was still deaf and blind. Where was she? Faith doesn't remove every challenger, challenge or barrier in life. But, like the experience of learning language for Helen Keller, it awakens the soul. It brings light and hope and joy and freedom. And in time, the other barriers will be swept away. Everything begins to quiver with life. The living word awakens the soul. It happened for that Samaritan leper on that day long ago, and it happens still. Now, nine of those lepers were utilitarians, and they thought rather analytically. Surely they must have been speechless at their good fortune, but it didn't lead them to gratefulness. Maybe they thought that God owed them a better life. I don't know. Whatever the reason, they went on their way with little inclination to return thanks or to return to the one who made it possible for them to live this new life. But one leper, the Samaritan, well, for him it was a different story. His faith made him well. Not only was he healed on the outside, he was healed on the inside in his response. And the God who becomes flesh in Jesus Christ on Christmas healed his flesh. 
and then got under his skin and into his life. That's what happens when we return to the Lord with our praises and thanksgiving. It's the difference between learning a new word and learning and discovering language itself. It's the difference between being healed and being made well. We often fail to express our thanks. And maybe that's a human nature. But Luke doesn't tell us about this incident to impress upon us the importance of gratitude. He's making a statement about outsiders. Insiders ought to be good at gratitude. But none of those insiders came back. It was the Samaritan, the outsider, that came back with thanks in his heart. God's reconciling the whole world, even the world outside the boundaries of the faithful. There's one God, and this treasure of being made well, of overcoming our disfigurements, is so great that it doesn't belong just to us in the church. It's for everyone. It's for the world. So I'm not too worried about the fact that millennials aren't coming to church in great numbers because the earth and the fullness thereof belongs to the Lord. Outsiders sometimes come to faith and they think more elastically than people that are insiders. We in the church, I think, sometimes are inoculated with small doses of religion and we miss the amazing transformation that comes when faith makes you well. You see, the Lord isn't limited to what happens in this sanctuary or within the church. I think we tend to gravitate towards what we hold within us. Focus in on adversities and bitterness and you'll seem to attract more of both. Be grateful for the privilege of living. Be thankful for what you've received and somehow life just seems to get a little brighter. If we're bitter, we'll find plenty of reasons to be bitter. If we're thankful, we'll find lots of reasons to give thanks to the Lord. That's why I think we're exhorted in the New Testament to rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. We're also told not to worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. So be less of a complainer and more of a thanksgiver this Thanksgiving. Become part of God's 10% club. Think elastically, less analytically, and go against the grain of the world around you you may just find yourself awakening to a whole new dimension of life, thinking with flexibility, learning not just a new word, but a whole new language. Thanks to the grace of God. So go on your way. Your faith has made you well.
Amen.